0: This weekend is the final message in our Encounters with Jesus series. And instead of looking at a particular individual's interaction with Jesus, I wanted to bring you into some of my story uh, here today a little bit. And we're going to look at what happens when we encounter Jesus together through his own teachings. So instead of looking at a character that comes along and meets Jesus and intersects with something that Jesus is saying or doing, we're the ones here today that are going to be intersecting with the movement of Jesus through His teaching, through one particular passage of Scripture that's found in Matthew chapter 6. It's found in a part of Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this Scripture is not coming up on the screen because, you know, the first time these words would have been spoken, people weren't reading them, they were hearing them. And so now I invite you both with your physical ears and the ears of your heart, spiritual ears, to hear what Jesus is saying because we're going to encounter His words right now. And this text... Has been the text that's been on my heart for about, a, about two weeks and bring that to you today. And we ask now that God, by your Spirit, you would anoint this time that would be attentive to you, ready to respond to you. Hear now the word of the Lord from Matthew 6, the words of Jesus. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, what your body, what you will wear. Is not life more more than food and the body more than clothes? I mean, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. So if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow, and is gone tomorrow into the fire, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, What will we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. You know, in every encounter that we've studied together, there is this central and consistent message coming through. Jesus comes along and he says to human beings, people like you and me, to the whole human race, that here's the chance of a lifetime. If we were to summarize Every story that we've been in this summer, really it comes down to Jesus' invitation to a way of life. And he says, now it's possible for ordinary fallen human beings to live in the kingdom of God. That even while you find yourself on planet earth and heaven, as we understand it sometimes, may feel like so far away that Jesus says, you don't have to wait for something that's so far away just after you die. You can actually live in my kingdom, Jesus says, right now. You can, in this time and space, not just wait for something to get better someday, but that the very kingdom of God invades space and time in your life right now. And Jesus, through all these encounters, has been saying, it's now possible for you to live in God's kingdom right now, in the time right now that you've been given. And there's a way of life that is lived as one who operates by the power of the Spirit and in alignment with God's desires, that we can do that now. And so the question really becomes, as we've encountered Jesus through all of these stories, is how can we arrange our lives around the invitation of Jesus to seek His kingdom first and His righteousness above everything else? What does the arrangement of a life look like, or how does it play out in practical terms, when we're not just running around living like people who believe or live like there's no God, but people who are right now consistently... Living in the kingdom of God. So really our challenge over this summer, and really for our whole lives as disciples, followers of Jesus, is to learn how to use our daily activities of eating and resting and sleeping and working and playing to do what disciples of Jesus do. And that's to be with Jesus and to learn his kind of life. To live every moment as something that we do with Jesus. And the passage we've worked through, is a, I've read, is an exercise really in contrast between two ways of life. One of the ways of life is a life that's ranged around seeking the kingdom, of pursuing the things of God. And the other way of life is one that might be called the standard operating procedure of this world. A standard way in which this world operates. And this other way, outside the kingdom of God, amazingly is typified, especially in one word, that repeats itself over and over and over again in this passage. So we're going to look at it a few verses at a time. And I want you to pick out, I know it's early, but I think you'll get it, that the standard way of life that Jesus is pointing out saying, this is not the way for you to live. There's one verse that keeps coming up. So Jesus' words again, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Can any of you by worrying... Add a single hour to your life. So do not worry. You should be saying it with me now. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? How about verse 31? Therefore, do not worry. Hey, you got it. About tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Anybody pick up on the word that Jesus is trying to get us to pay attention to today? It's worry. That is the word that Jesus in his teaching says, That's one of the indicators of the standard way of life outside of the kingdom of God. And it could be translated really as anxious striving. And I'm not talking here this morning about kind of medically diagnosable anxiety, which needs medication and all those sorts of things. I'm talking about that kind of general anxiety, stress, anxious striving that every single human being encounters in their life. And in that, there's this emotional part to it. There's fear and anxiety, a preoccupation with things, a stress that comes up, but there's also a behavioral part to it. It's the striving, the crippling effort, the fatiguing way of life. And the Bible is full of contrast between life in the kingdom of God, a way of rest and a way of peace, and this other way of life outside the kingdom of God that looks like anxious striving and worry, this whole pursuit of, of making things happen just the way we want them to. I mean, look at verse 31 in this passage. Again, an exercise in contrast. Jesus says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear for the pagans? And that word is so important. The word pagan, it kind of gets thrown around and misused. It simply is, a pagan is someone who lives as though there is no God. That's what that word means. Someone who lives as if there is no God. He says, for people who live as if there's no God, they do what? He uses a verb to talk about the pagan lifestyle, and he says those who run after temporal things. People who live like there's no God, who just live for themselves, end up running all the time. There's a writer by the name of Lewis Grant that he says in our day, he came up with this term, is that we are characterized, particularly in North America, by what he calls sunset fatigue. And sunset fatigue is this, is that people come home at the end of the day, after a full day, whatever has been going on, and those they love most deeply, who need their love the most, end up getting emotional leftovers because we've just, we're just too tired, or too drained, or too fatigued, or too preoccupied to love the people to whom we've made the deepest commitments in life. And so here are some of the symptoms of sunset fatigue. See if any of you can relate to these. It's that continual sense of urgency and hurry. You find yourself rushing even when there's no reason to. Anyone ever do that? There's an underlying tension around your life, perhaps in your homes or relationship where where you live that causes sharp words. You ever surprised by the sharpness of words that come out of your own mouth? Quarrels that pop up, misunderstandings or a loss of gratitude or intimacy within relationship? There's a kind of frustration that you live with about not getting things done We find ourselves starting things, but you don't seem to get around to finishing them. Of course, I'm not talking about home renovations. Those are kind of ongoing, so don't beat yourself up about that. Maybe you have a sense that time always passes too quickly. The children grow up too fast, or maybe not fast enough. Important life goals are just kind of slipping through your fingers, and they're going unfulfilled. And in that, we turn ourselves to destructive attempts to extinguish fatigue, like... Abusing alcohol or overdosing on social media or video games or you find yourself strangely attracted to country music or something like that. I mean, it's not good stuff. Things we give ourselves to. And there's this underlying issue in all of this. We have to ask ourselves, what is it that we get so... What is it that we're so busy striving after? What's that all about? I mean, if Jesus is offering a way in the kingdom that we can really live in, That it's not some utopian fantasy, but it's really how we can live. Why is it that most of the time, we live as what I've called functional atheists. We say with our mouths that there's a God, but if someone was to watch our lives, we would look like the ones that are in control. Why is that? Well, come back with me to verse 25. Jesus now begins to get at the root issue in our lives that are characterized by this worry and anxious striving. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Then he gives some illustrations to help us out. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Jesus is now calling us to some reflection about how the whole created order works. You can imagine Jesus as he walked around, usually taught outside. He was in synagogues sometimes or in homes. You can imagine as he says these words, there could be birds flying over top, and he just asks the people, just look up, look at the birds of the air. What do you see about them? I mean, they don't do any of the things we associate with work that needs to be done in order to be sustained physically. And yet amazing things happen, Jesus says, when you just pause and look at the birds. Their lives, strangely enough, are not characterized by anxious striving." I don't know if any medical research is done, but birds have a very low incidence of ulcers and high blood pressure. There's very few type A birds flying around our skies. And Jesus says, something happens in us when we start to reflect on these birds of the sky because you discover that their life is not characterized by anxious striving or productivity, and yet they live. And Jesus says, just hold on a minute. and all of your striving, will you just pause and literally look to the skies? And just reflect on this fact that the reason that the birds are sustained from day to day is not an accident. It's not the result of some random mechanical process in the universe. According to Jesus, the birds are sustained because it's the result of the fact that an omnipotent God is caring for birds. And so he makes available to them what they need to live. And then Jesus says, And while you're looking up, take a minute and look down. Look at the flowers. Flowers are not in the clothing business, and yet they're characterized by this kind of splendor beyond that of any human being. And Jesus is literally giving us a command. It's like, stop and smell the roses. Like, stop and look. Take a walk outside and look at the flowers for a moment. Very rarely, if ever, do you see flowers in a big hurry, right? You think for a moment about this. What do we call the place where flowers live? It's a flower bed, right? Just a bed. It's not the flower racetrack or the flower highway or expressway. It's a bed. That's what flowers do. There's stillness and yet beauty. There's no striving and yet capturing of wonder. And now Jesus pointed all of this is not to say, be lazy, be unproductive, lay in bed and provide and say, God, provide for me. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that As you look around at the way that God is working in nature, he says what he's saying is you can really trust this kind of God. This is not a command to quit your job and sit around and wait for the bank account to fill miraculously. Jesus is taking people like us who are so addicted to anxious striving and he's jolting us out of our running to say pause for a moment. If you can look at how all of the created order is working you will find that you really can trust this God with your deepest needs. You really can trust Him. And that the choice between these two ways of life, the way of the kingdom and this way of worry, really comes down to this issue of who ultimately am I trusting in for the very things of life. You see, when I'm tempted to neglect my role as a parent or as a husband or an employee or a student, to obsess over something... Am I really trusting God enough? Or am I being preoccupied with that thing in order to give myself over to that which I believe needs to happen? Like, I mean, as the things are happening around us, and we have outcomes in mind, relationally, vocationally, educationally, spiritually, whatever, and it becomes this anxious striving, what about anxious striving and seeking to create particular outcomes according to our preference looks like trust? It doesn't look like trust. The question is, do I trust that God is big enough and good enough to handle my life, to sustain me through whatever comes my way? In verse 30, Jesus makes this diagnosis very clear. He says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? In other words, Jesus is talking about highly discardable stuff not like us. And if God takes care of and sustains this highly discardable stuff, how much more is he going to ensure that you are taken care of? Now, does that mean that nothing bad will ever happen? No, it's talking about the sustaining way of God to give you life. And then he puts this tagline in there, you of little faith. Really, he's saying, for those of you who are finding it difficult to trust God right now, Jesus says, it's time to look at life differently. Now the problem of making a point like this when Jesus says you have a little faith is that some of us around here and online, we're worriers. And when you tell a worrier that their problem is the lack of faith and they shouldn't worry, what do they start doing? They tend to worry about worrying, right? And it's a spiral, which is not a helpful thing. So instead of seeing it as this command, this demand of Jesus that says, you just have to have more faith. How about it's not like that? I want you to think of Jesus' words now as an invitation to a way of life. Not one more thing to put on your list of things to worry about. Like, oh, I have to have more faith. I have to not worry. And I'm worrying about that. Just pause. What if this morning we can all take a big, deep breath and hear Jesus' words as an invitation to begin to reflect on God's sustaining care in the world? Again, because we live in a fallen world and bad things happen. They do. We know that. But the truth is that underneath that fallenness, very visible in ordinary life all around us, is the sustaining, providing care of God in the world. And Jesus says, the life of a disciple can begin with reflection on who God really is and what he acts like. And begin to reflect on the things around you until you discover, until it becomes your mental map, that deeply ingrained way of looking at things, is where I discover what is true about God. And see, the only way to grow in our belief on this is to begin to obey Jesus. If you want to know what it's like to live by faith, to really trust God for the things that are on our hearts most this morning, you know what actually takes doing what Jesus says, because it puts us in a position of surrender as opposed to control. We have to begin to arrange our life around the kingdom and refuse to run around as people who live like there is no God. And Jesus says, and when you do this, you will discover as we walk in steps of obedience to Jesus, is the God who cares for the grass and the geese and the daffodils also cares for you. But if we as a people always stand back, refusing to obey the steps of faith that Jesus calls us to, we will never have our lives arranged in a way where we're truly trusting him on an everyday basis. We will sit back and we will sing songs and pray prayers and read things about trusting God, about believing Him. But we will never find out how good He is, how loving He is, until we take those steps of obedience, which leaves our control behind and puts us fully in line with the care of God. It isn't until obedience is happening, usually in tough times, in difficult times, when God is saying, you can really trust me with this. It isn't until we step into that reality do we realize that there really is a heavenly Father that is more wonderful than you can imagine. And I mean, I was talking with a friend this week, and it just came up in our conversation about God. You just think about the fact that if you can imagine how go- how good God is, you try to imagine how amazing and wonderful that He is. He's already more than that, isn't He? I mean, if we can capture the whole goodness of God in our minds, he kind of ceases to be God, because now he's constrained to the finite realities of our mind. So come up with the best, most amazing, most incredible thing you could ever imagine in God, how loving he could possibly be, how good he possibly is, and then he's more than that, more than you can imagine. And that every time we look at a bird or a flower, we see how beautiful and wonderful his care really is. And that if it's that wonderful on that level, for things that are here today and gone tomorrow, then imagine how deeply that love and that care and that sustaining power is extending to you. So our calling then, in all these encounters with Jesus, is to begin to live as people who are cared for by a God like that. And sometimes, oftentimes, I need to begin to adjust my pace so that I can begin to live in the reality of, the, of obedience to God that results in faith-filled steps, which opens new provision. Now, some of us are going to move faster than others in life, and we're just wired differently. And some of you are married to somebody who finishes your sentences slowly. Things, you, know, you, you speak slowly, and so you finish their sentences for them. And there's, even in relationships, a different pace of life. It's a wiring thing. But the key on this really is this question is what do I need to do? What pace do I need to live at so that I can continually be growing in my love for God and my love for people? Because if there's one thing that anxious striving does, it chokes out our capacity to love. And there's no one pace that's right for everybody, no set number of hours every week that everyone's supposed to be working, no mass-produced schedule that all disciples are supposed to fit into. You can't mass-produce discipleship. The pace at which you need to live and that I need to live is different for everybody. What it has to be centered on is this question. And it takes discernment and it takes being in community with one another talking about these things. And here's the fundamental question. What is the pace at which I need to live so that I can continually be growing in my love for God and my love for others? We can talk about this in terms of rate and relationship. If the pace, the rate at which I live my life, I start to see the deterioration of relationship, my ability to love, I know that I'm going far too fast. It can happen by going too slow as you come into laziness and things like that. Relationships start to fall apart. So in community, if you want to know if the kind of pace of life you're living at is a healthy one, ask yourself, what's the quality of the relationships around me in which I live? And if you feel a deterioration in the relationship, it means the rate is either too high or too low, and it's time for an adjustment. And by the way, friends, I mean, if your current pace of life is working, then by all means, don't change. Don't experience twinges of guilt at all this morning or shame based on a message like this. If your pace of life is working, don't change it. It's okay. Assess it. But if it's not working, then let's begin to think about how you can change it. I mean, we're right at the beginning of this new ministry or new school year. And I know different age and stages of life. For some, September comes around, it's no big deal. But for many of us, there's a lot of shifts and changes happening. And we can begin to understand how we can really trust God to take care of all the details of life that we're worried about, that we believe will fall apart if we don't have control. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it really look like practically as we come into September of 2018? with all the things that may be on our minds, what does it practically look like to be people that live in the kingdom of God, truly trusting Him to sustain us? We're going to get really practical for the last few moments here because I want you to think about your life in particular chunks of time. This is something I've been doing for a few years. I just want to share it with you. First of all, think about a daily rhythm. I'm going to give you kind of what I do. In my life, I have what I call a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly rhythm rhythm. And there's things I do every day. There's things I do every week. There's certain things I do every month. And there's things I do about once a year to keep me in a place of sustained pace and one that allows me to keep loving people. I don't do it perfectly. Lots of failure there. But at least it's a little bit of a pattern. I want to give you some of this. So first of all, think of your time as as what you do daily. Think about how you arrange your days. Begin to think about how I arrange my day. And I want to start with a place that may surprise you. I want to talk to you about your sleep and my sleep. I'm not talking about people that have sleep apnea and other issues like that. Just the kind of sleep quality we have. And I want to ask you, are you trusting God enough? Am I trusting God enough with the things of life that I actually get adequate sleep? Sleep really does involve a big statement about what you trust. I will go so far as to say this, that some of the, probably the biggest faith step we take every single day Is going to sleep. Don't you agree? When are you least in control in your day? When your head hits the pillow and you relinquish it all, or you have to. So, my question is if your sleep is marked by anxious striving, that even when you're in bed, we just can't let it go, we can't put it into God's hands, what is that saying about the pace of our lives? You see, that's life in God's kingdom. I don't mean this, I mean, this could sound a little glib, I don't mean to have it sound like that at all. I'm really serious there's going to be a number of people here for whom the single most helpful thing you can do in terms of your spiritual life is get a good night's sleep. Because we're called to be filled with love and joy and peace and and life in our bodies. And our bodies were constructed by God to need rest. And it's easy to be overwhelmed by worry if you're not getting enough sleep. You know how disoriented we get when we're not getting enough sleep? And the issue that's probably this big becomes this. You ever experienced that? Massive Massive worries, but with a good night's sleep, it kind of comes into perspective. Think about sleep in your daily life. And what if we started to consider sleep as an actual time of prayer? You see, in the Hebrew Hebrew approach to life, they used to think about the day beginning at nighttime. That's when the day began. That's why in the opening verses of Genesis, it talks about, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. The day begins. You begin your day by resting. Your day begins when you go to bed at night. That's the start of your day, which means by the time you wake up, you're eight hours into your day having done nothing but rest in God, and now the rest of your day continues out of rest. Instead of starting with the alarm, breakfast, kids, work, traffic, whatever else like that. No, no, the day started like eight, nine hours ago when you went to rest and put your trust in God to sleep and be cared for. So tonight, before you go to sleep, I want to invite you to do something. Would you take a moment or two to just review the day and release your worries to God and ask Him to restore your soul through a good night's sleep? Take a few minutes at night before you have to go to bed, not as an obligation, but simply a time to release and restore. And when you wake up in the morning, begin by offering your day to God. It can really be like this. One of the prayers I pray often, if I'm in a season like we're in now with some transition, it was not sleeping well at all this week, And I remembered about Thursday night. I laid down and I simply said this. In the name of Jesus, I now declare these next few hours an act of worship in which I relinquish all control to God. And so Jesus, I'm going to put my head on this pillow and I really can't do much about anything, about all the things that are going on, but you can. And so Jesus, if you're good to go ahead and work on stuff for the next eight hours, seven hours while I sleep, When I wake up, how about this? I'll only pick up the responsibilities that you give me for the remainder of the day. And everything else stays with you. And so the day began on Thursday night with a really good night's sleep. Have you ever thought of your sleeping as an act of worship where you demonstrate trust in a loving God? And as you wake up in the morning eating breakfast, asking God to nourish you, mind, body, soul, and then through the day just taking moments to review Scripture, Maybe you take a verse with you through the day like the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. And periodically, just through the day, close your door, step aside, or stand at the sink and take a few moments to be with God. And allow the truth that God wants to speak to you to seep in a little more deeply just to find that simple ways can restore your soul and you start to live as someone who really believes there's a God in this world who sustains you. There's a daily rhythm. What about... A weekly rhythm Bible talks about a Sabbath rhythm do you have a day in your week whatever your job may look like at least one in seven when you can simply do things that bring joy to your heart things you do with Jesus and people you really enjoy being with think about your month we're moving quickly but think about daily weekly monthly for many people it's really helpful once a month to have an extended time of solitude like taking a day once a month we can get away My rhythm basically looks, I've given you some of my daily rhythm of of prayer with sleep. My weekly rhythm, my Monday, is a day in which I find coffee shops and read great books because that fills my soul. It's kind of my Sabbath rhythm. Monthly, every month, I try to take one extra day, leave a bit early on a Friday to extend times of solitude and quiet. And then my yearly rhythm, I just know this, about keeping a restorative practice in my soul. I have got to be on a plane to somewhere else in the world at least once a year to reorient my thinking about God's global work. And it seems to happen every year an opportunity comes. And at the beginning of a year, I really just lay that before the Lord and I say, God, I want to live with a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly attentiveness to the kind of pace you want me to live so that I can love you and love others with the kind of heart that you want me to. Again, the question is, what do I need to do to live more and more in the kingdom? And for so many of us, we just compartmentalize and we think, okay, each day I need to have my half hour quiet time. And once we're done that quiet time, we literally shut God out and then run into the next, ne- next part of the day thinking we've made God happy because we've had quiet time. And it just gets so backwards and our time with Jesus becomes a burden. It becomes a have to instead of a get to. You know the difference between that you have to do and things you get to do? What if life with God was what you got to do as a gift? And the rhythms in which we're choosing position us to hear God's voice. So friends, how do you need to arrange your day, your week, your month, your year in a way that's going to bring you life, life with God? See, by doing this, we're creating spaces every day, every week, every month, every year where your worries, hear this, stick with me here. We're creating spaces where our worries have to collide with the truth of God's kingdom and his righteousness, And as long as we keep running, we'll continue to chase the wrong wrong things, and the byproduct of the running is worry. So where in your life, where in our lives, are we bringing the truth and character of God to bear against the worry and anxiety that is crushing our souls and trying to destroy us? When Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, what he's saying is, we bring all this worry and anxiety, and as often as we can, we make it collide with the truth of God's character. And we find that his kingdom way is better and his righteousness is better. Because worry and anxiety is this really serious deal. In a room this size, there's many of us that, honestly, if you feel paralyzed by the intensity of kind of common anxiety, and to you I say this, to truly overcome the patterns of worry might just be the battle of your life. Because there's this relentless attack against your heart that tells you you have to keep running. And yet when you encounter Jesus, he's offering you a whole other way. When Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, he's telling us to take our worry and make it submit to something greater. The truth is that worry and anxiety is fed honestly by our desire to control outcomes. We have a vision in mind of how things should go, and then we grab control in the belief that whatever life I create for myself will be the best kind of life. And Jesus stands and he says, that's standard operating procedure for the world. When you take control to try to produce outcomes, all you get is what you can manufacture. How about this, Jesus says. You release the outcomes to me, find yourself in my kingdom, and then what you get is everything the God of the universe can give. Do you want in your life just what you can produce and manufacture? Or do you want to live in this place where we're truly living under the provision of the God God? who sustains the whole universe. The invitation of Jesus to his followers stands in opposition to this panic, control-driven life and we've got to repent of a spirit of control over all of us, cuz we're all control control freaks in our own ways, cuz we believe that our way is best until we encounter Jesus and he says, "Can you stop running for a minute? I have a hope for you. I have a peace for you." I have a kind of love for you, a passion, a provision for you. But as long as you're gripping the stick and gripping the steering wheel and gripping everything so tight, how are you ever going to open your hands to true provision that comes from God? You see, for every worry represented here, there is a kingdom option in which you can live. Whether your, money, whether your worry is about money or the future or relationships or the church or family or spiritual stagnancy, whatever it is you're worrying about, there is another way. There is a kingdom option in which you can live. Friends, we are not powerless victims against the onslaught of worry and anxiety. You're not. By redeeming our time and creating space in which the worry can get examined through the eyes of faith and love, you know what Jesus offers you? He offers all of us a renewed sense of mission and passion to know what it is to live as people of freedom, people of hope, people of life. In a world that is running itself crazy into the ground, what if the people of God what if the people of Rexdale Alliance were identified as those people live like there is an actual, real, present God in their life? They don't just talk about a God the way they live. actually looks like they believe that God is their sustaining power and the giver of hope and the forgiver of sins. Would you pray with me? Let's take a minute to reflect before we go. Ramona, come on up. <clears throat> I want to ask you to... Um, do something with me just in the next few moments that I've been doing all week. Last maybe, yeah, 12 days or so. Maybe take something out to write with. It won't be too long, I promise. We'll get out in a second and have our community time. Or just a device, something. And I want you to just finish this sentence. Kids, I know we've got some kids in the room. Maybe if there's stuff about school, you can write stuff down too. Everybody participate online as well simply want you to finish this statement. The thing I'm most worried about today is and write it down. The thing I'm most worried about today is a financial thing and you can write it down. The thing I'm most worried about today is starting a new school. The thing I'm most worried about today is a relationship that's in tension. The thing I'm most worried about today is the future of my church or future of my work. Where my kids are at, where my mom or dad are at. So just take a moment. The thing I'm most worried about today is, and then write it down. Now, after it's written down, I want you to hold it out in front of you, whether it's on your device or on that piece of paper. And we're going to pray in the next few moments that God is going to give us wisdom to see what that worry looks like if we're pursuing his kingdom and his righteousness first. And it's the worry that's going to submit to Jesus' way of life. And then he's going to give us insight in how to see that worry bow at the lordship of Christ because that's really what it is. You know that's what it is? It's a lordship issue. And so with that before us, let me pray this prayer. Father, with every worry that's held out in front of us, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we right now relinquish control of trying to fix that our way. We repent of our common desire to take control to make things better in some way that we've perceived. And so we confess today, God, that we don't see like you do. You don't just see different than us, you see better than us. So you know exactly what's what's embedded in that worry as we lay it before you. And I pray in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we agree in prayer in the Spirit that every single one of these worries now has to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We do not run as people that submit to the worry. We live as people that submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to these worries, we make them bow at the feet of Jesus. The assault on our heart on this issue comes to an end. And Jesus, I pray that in the next few moments, even over today, as we think about the daily, weekly, monthly, yearly rhythms, that the reality of these worries, which is calling us into a place of greater control, would be broken. Absolutely broken in every way so that we can live as people who see your kingdom and your righteousness as really the best way to live. Father, there's going to be more worries in the days to come, we know. But in every single one, we want to take every thought captive and make it obedient to you, Jesus. Because you're Lord of our lives. You're Lord of this church. You're Lord of our city, this nation, and the world. It's you alone that have all the power and authority, and so we gladly surrender to you. Father, forgive us for assuming that you're somewhere else doing something else and not concerned about this worry that's before us. By the power of your Spirit, I pray that we would live free as people of your kingdom, living as though there really is a God who sustains us and cares for us and provides for us. And so we relinquish control in the name of Jesus and we choose to live in your freedom today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? With me? As you go, again, the Welcome Center is open for those if you're visiting and need to know more about the church. Hope you'll stay around and enjoy some, uh, some food and refreshments, get to know each other. Perhaps you'll even go from like small talk to medium talk and we can all share the thing that maybe we wrote down today and pray for one another, minister to one another. If you have a need that you'd like prayer for, I'll be at the front, others as well. I'd just love to minister God's grace to you. Um, You know that God really loves you, don't you? Like, you know that he really loves you. It's not just this kind of cosmic love that he kind of loves the world, that he loves you by name. And the reason he calls you into life, the kind of life that he has, is because he loves you. And so would you go in the love of God today, knowing that you are loved, that you are blessed, you're in his favor, He has so much good for you. And when we trust him, we get to be recipients of the greatest gifts of the God of the universe. So go in that peace. Go in that grace. God bless you. Have a great rest of your weekend.